<laughs> that was a very suspect aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And the second one got even worse. Could you get to me the boss army? Oh my gosh. Ich trink Wasser. Got it. gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. We're still talking about the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turpin. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal. This is my guest. I don't care about Ethan Bartlett, but this is Nicholas Lilienthal. Oh, that was an extremely confusing way to get both of us. You did the trick, though. You made it sound like there were either like three quarters of a person... Or, like, three other people. Well, here's my question. How can you have half a death? I don't know. Okay. How can you have I don't care about Ethan as a name? <laughs> I don't know. You tell me. I can't, You're... We're drinking Polly's Casks. Of course we are. The Highland Single Malt Scotch Whiskey that is double barrel aged, matured in oak and ale casks, uh, from Firestone Walker Brewing Company and Tullibardine Distillery and Alexander Murray and Company. So this sounds oh, like a corporate conglomerate that a uh, lot of lot of people involved. A lot of people involved in it. It's it's a big collaborative effort, and we should all be behind it and help them out. I personally prefer um, my scotch made by one person <laughs> from a bathtub. <laughs> no, no, that's a, that, that person. That name is is McGuire. McGuire. And okay. name, what is the name of that terrible Irish? He's my friend. He's my friend's yeah. mom's. Scene. Stepdad. I was going to say poutine, but that's what I like in my scotch. Pachin is what you're thinking. Pachin. Pachin. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that's made in the bathtub and that you just don't want to drink. Well, that's just made out of a compost heap mm-hmm. that you then threw some Sharpie markers into. <laughs> Basically. Yep. Everything I've understood of it is. Um, one day that I'm was a good bring... question. How do you have half death? Um, we're, we're not there yet. Okay. One day I'm um, going to bring mm-hmm. Pachin to this podcast, and I'm not sure if it's going to be as our. Beverage or as a punishment for you? Or as the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's going to be a real bad episode for everybody, that's for sure. (laughs) That's what it is. Um, So get your wife in here. Hi, Karen. Karen, what are the rules? Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule 3. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words, vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, 
Drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. Bye, Karen. Uh, Nick, would you remind us of the additional rule we have for this yes, episode? the additional rule whenever someone says footman, <gasps> everyone must gasp in terror. Yep. We didn't have to there because, because we haven't saluted yet, so the rules yep, haven't, haven't taken haven't effect. Saluted. But we were demonstrating the rule for you all. Also, there's an additional rule I forgot to mention last episode, but I want to mention it this time around that was initiated by my wife that whenever... My wife. My wife. Whenever we record, uh, the wives have the option of having a glass of the scotch before the scotch is all gone. Which is also just a rule for Sarah because my wife doesn't like the scotch at all, no matter what the scotch is. But my wife wants the scotch. She wants the scotch. So, Sarah, come here, have your scotch. All right, now get out. Uh, So so polite today. I want to get to talking about the book. All right, anybody need to top off on this? This, this I mean, stuff? I do. Mine's super empty. That one's not mine. Oh, my bad. Missed. This one's mine. I didn't say when, I'm a Perdon boy. Oh, well, fine. All right. Uh, well, here we go. Oh, I suppose uh, I should <laughs> pick that back up. Schlank. Schlank. Like him. <laughs> <laughs> You meaning what you wanted to means what I wanted to. As you are, I was. As I am, you will be. See, what I'm interpreting from all of you is that we're going to get to the question that Michael asked just before this uh, section began, <laughs> which was, how do you have to have us? He is, is fine he trying to segue us? I don't appreciate being segued. <laughs> I will. It's too bad because what the, I'm saying the, the guy half, who invented what, the segue died on the segue. What, what yeah. I'm saying for the half have of death is respect. What, what I'm saying for the half of death is that every life that Aiden Bishop had, Evelyn Hardcastle died, visibly or at least we heard about it, save one. Yep. But is that a half of death or did she just not die? Or is death itself not a valid concept? Death is a construct. Yep. Um, yeah. No. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yes, this is a point I, I was actually... I did want to talk about the seven and a half deaths question a little bit. Because I did uh, start keeping track of how many times we saw her die. Because we mm-hmm. didn't while he was Sebastian Bell. True. Yes. And we didn't while he was the butler. True. Right. And we didn't while he was Donald Davies the True. first time. Uh, and so then when we got to day four and actually saw the death scene, uh, when he was Ravencourt, I was like, oh, this is the first time we actually see her die. So I mm-hmm. noted it down, noted the page number in the back, and then we got to the one in day five, and she died there, and then we didn't see another one until day, day eight. We saw seven. Uh, but we didn't, because she didn't actually die. True. Because it was You're right. fate. You're right. Um, uh, when he was, uh, rashed and he managed to... Foil, the one who tricked, who was trying to kill her. Twice, actually. Twice. Yep, twice. Twice he foiled her death. So, um, yeah, so actually, Evelyn Hardcastle died... Three and a half times. 
three and a half times. Unless. Visibly. Visibly. Unless. In the narrative of the book. We're using the word of differently. Depends because on what the word could, is means. You could argue. Oh, you're saying that, like attributive, subjective, attributive, subjective yes. objects. So, okay, the seven okay. and a half desk of Evelyn, Evelyn Hardcastle, in that sense, they circle around her. Sure. Uh, sure. But yeah, the, ca- the, caused the, by or around. The genitive well, of respect. Well, there you can see, yes. how, many, how many times does our main character actually die? I'm going to say that if you do the thing that I was just arguing for, you get way more than seven and a half deaths. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I... Do? Yeah, you do. Because uh, well, if, if, you, if you throw the net widely enough... Yeah, exactly. because a lot of people die. Because I'm saying, like, if, if, you, if you cut out Stanwin, you're pretty close to seven. Sure. Because, you like, just, just with the main characters and then a few other people around them. Mm-hmm. Or the, the main character, because um, we've got the butler, Davies, Derby, Rashton. Um, butler, Davies, Derby, Rashton, and then Michael Hardcastle, mm-hmm. Millicent Derby... There's seven. What about, how about we count just day eight? Oh, how dance. many people died dance. on day eight? On day eight? So in the final loop. In the final loop. Okay, we've got died? Stanwin. Yeah, Stanwin definitely died. Millicent Derby. Mm-hmm. Uh, Derby and Rashton didn't. So we've got Dance, mm-hmm. the butler, Donald Davies. Both Hardcastle parents. Both Hardcastle parents. That brings us up to seven already. And, and then and Evelyn Mike. herself. <laughs> Evelyn herself and Michael. Michael. So we end up with nine. We end up. Okay. My point being, ultimately, in bringing this up, wasn't actually to. Footman <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> died as well. Yes. Uh. It, anyway. Um. My Wait, point Michael, in say the footman. The footman. <gasps> <laughs> I have to guess twice again. <laughs> uh, my point we're going to all give ourselves the hiccups. Yes, we are. Was actually not to try counting, but I'm glad we did. Um, <laughs> it wasn't my point either, but I was so amused by the <laughs> My point was that the entire title is a red herring. Huh? And yes. you can also figure that out by looking at the oh, cover. Oh, don't. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> the cover is bright red. I hate you. <laughs> So you keep saying that, but you keep appearing on this podcast. I know. It's, it's a, <laughs> I mean, he's got a title name. Sort of complex <laughs> I have. Anyway. Because it, it's not actually about that. Um, the, the solving of the murder is sort of itself the redemptive arc of Aiden Bishop um, and Anna. But um, that's... It's not as central as the title would leave you to believe. Yeah. It becomes the, the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle is more akin to the setting of the book than the plot of the book. Evelyn Hardcastle is an important side character, yep. not a main character. Uh-huh. Which is fascinating because she's also the eponymous character. Yep. Well, it goes back to something that I remember you and I saying years ago about the Hunger Games. Hmm. Um, which is the second time that's come up in two episodes, so I don't know what that means. But, Weird. Uh, in in the Hunger Games, I think this was your analysis, Michael. I don't remember if it's been on this show before. I feel like it might have. I don't think we've ever talked about the Hunger Games on this show until <laughs> these two episodes. <laughs> right. We must have. I don't think so. At some point. I doubt it. Anyway, I remember you talking saying that back when the Hunger Games was big and we both had read it in a more or less timely fashion, but mm-hmm. we didn't have um, this vast platform that we have now. Right. Uh, 
what a thing people were saying was that uh, the hunger, like they they didn't like the Hunger Games because it was your basic like teenage love triangle. Oh sure. And another thing that other people were saying was that they didn't like the Hunger Games because it was um, it set up these like moral dilemmas and then sort of got Katniss out of them mm-hmm. without forcing her to confront Choose them. Choose a good point, and your your the thing you said in response to these was that both of those sort of miss the point because the moral dilemmas and the love triangles more or less are what the characters within the story that's the story that mm-hmm. they're experiencing um, but it is not the actual story that right. Suzanne Collins mm-hmm. was writing. Well, and that's something and I think similarly. Evelyn Hardcastle's murder and the solution of it is the story that these characters are experiencing. Yep. But I don't think it's the story, the story of I, the seven and a half deaths of Evelyn. I, I will agree yeah. that for every character but Aiden Bishop, day eight. By day eight, it was no longer the story he was telling either. Right. Right. It was it was it was more than that in a lot of ways. Mm. But like and that that you know, going back to Hunger Games, that's part of why I don't want a sequel to this book, because this book is not about the autocratic society right. surrounding all of this. Whereas in the Hunger Games, Catching Fire was a perfect sequel because the Hunger Games was within this broader the context, and that was the right. issue. Right. Like I heard a lot of people when Catching Fire and Mockingjay came out object to the second and third books because they weren't the same as Hunger Games. But I'm like, you are just part of you know the capital at that point. Right. You just want more Hunger Games, right? Um, when really that the whole thing is a commentary on that. So that's why like that needed that sequel. This does not, right? Because that's not the story mm-hmm. that this is interested in telling, unless. Unless in a sequel, you took all of the characters who were the best at solving these. We're not doing and that. Put them on a cruise no, ship. No, we're not putting them on. a okay, cruise Okay, but ship. hear me out. Hear me out. Uh, Seriously, it's not. Cruise. It's not filled with weapons that they have to all kill each other. The cruise ship is drowning, and they can only save one of them. And they have to decide okay, that's who to a, save. That's and a great wait, idea. They have to wait for longer than ten seconds, and then the way opens that's, correctly. That's a great no idea, except that, that it's not. I apologize. Except so, that it's a very bad and also a garbage idea. But other uh, than that, it's very good. Uh, where were we? Uh, we were talking about the red herrings and the, the story that oh, is the story. I had one more thing I wanted oh, okay. to say about the title, since we haven't beaten that subject to death at all. No, we haven't. Of course not. Um, my interpretation of the title that is not the joke interpretation that I threw out like a red herring to get us counting bodies, um, is that... It, it, I took it poetically. Uh, okay. I took it that the... So you have... Without that number, you have just the deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. And without the plural, you have the death of Evelyn Hardcastle. Sure. And it's that plural and also arguably the number yep. that really changes everything about what that would be. It, it's... Yep. It's no longer just death, it's the possibility of resurrection. Nicholas, I'm so happy that you're still counting bodies. I've got it. In the corner. I've got it. Wait, stop. Wait, hold on, don't do it yet. Thing. Yours is also valid, but I we're at the point in the podcast where trains of thought are like scared rabbits that will vanish if I look at them. Run, so, little rabbit. So, with the death of Evelyn Hardcastle, you only have death. With the deaths, and even with the seven deaths, you have... The possibility of resurrection. Sure. But the seven and a half deaths, I still think, is key. And I think it's sort of the opposite of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, where the American title is better. Because when you have that half death, you have the possibility of getting partway through a death and coming back. Sure. And that that's 
metaphorically and poetically what the entire book is. I have a response to that, but I want to hear Nick's answer to the seven and a half. The stable boy. Okay. Thomas Hardcastle. Okay. Helena Hardcastle. uh, Lord Hardcastle. Michael Hardcastle. uh, Millicent Derby. uh, Evelyn Hardcastle herself, the half is Felicity Maddox. All of the deaths directly caused by Evelyn Hardcastle. Ah. Uh, Because I was going to obviously ask you what tied those all together. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Nope. That's, yeah, that's good. Seven and a half deaths. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And there it it goes actually doing my joke one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, my response to you is this this connection. uh, I, I, I pointed out just, or I mentioned briefly in the last episode that um, Aiden Bishop can kind of almost be seen as, as a Christ figure in this. Yes. I, like, I don't want to fully call him a Christ figure, but there is certainly a Christ figure feature to I mean, him. This and, is actually goes back to another thing I wrote about the Hunger Games. Um, mm. When I, I briefly, for the blog Christ and Pop Culture, wrote a books column. Mm. And because of some other stupid stuff that people were saying about the Hunger Games, I had to very minutely... Describe the difference between Christ and a Christ figure. Yes. So Christ, obviously, you have a certain amount of very specific religious baggage, but a Christ figure can just take on some of the aspects of Christ, right. yep. either in character, in story function. It's not a full one to one. Exactly. Yeah. It's not allegory. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. So it's even you could even envision it as like. Catholic saints in the in the medieval writings taking on the wounds of Christ while still, sure. being, while yeah. still being themselves human yeah. and, mm-hmm. and flawed. Yeah. My point in this, okay, so taking this idea of Aiden Bishop being a Christ figure, he comes into this world of death, this prison for Anna, hmm. um, and okay. ultimately comes out with her. Um, so Not there's that. there's that. He okay. redeems her. He atones her. One uh, one picture to that too. Yeah. Two things about what you already said. Yep. Not only because I, I I did want to call you out on that last episode and then I forgot to, but I wanted you to expand on it because I couldn't decide what I thought of the idea of him being a Christ figure. But it does occur to me he not only goes into this world, he goes in willingly. Yep. Yep. Um, none of it's quite explicitly laid out multiple times that no one else who's here potentially there because they want to be. Yeah, potentially including the plague doctor who like is like, his job to be this. And he warden. also he also comes in angry with her, but mm-hmm. leaves forgiving her. Yeah. Um, also, Anna could be short for Anastasia. Ah, uh, but uh, which of course means Annabelle. resurrection. resurrection. Yeah, I could. Okay. Um, sorry. Yeah. A quick thing that's, it's more tangential, it's somewhat tangential, sure. very tangential. Uh, <laughs> Sebastian Bell is arguably the point where Aiden Bishop was the most Aiden Bishop he could be before being corrected by all the other hosts. It was yep. the most original because Sebastian Bell had almost no presence. Right. In, Seba- one thing that Sebastian Bell says, and he says it several times, reiterates it, is the entire plot and, and goal of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, on page 33. Uh, the age lo- Jesus was when he died. No. <laughs> but no. All right, anyways. Uh, lowering my hand, I make my decision. I told myself that a dead woman could lay no claim to me, and that's why I was free to leave Blackheath. It was a coward's reason, but at least it had a ring of truth to it. If Anna's alive, that's no longer the case. I failed her this morning, and it's all I've thought about since. Now that I have a second chance, I cannot turn my back. 
She's in danger, and I can help, so I must. If that's not enough to keep me at Blackheath, I don't deserve the life I'm so fearful of losing. Ah, hold on. Come what may, I must be in the graveyard at 1020, so where does he meet her? In a place that is death. Yeah. Um, anyway. But yeah, that's the, it is It is the motivation for Aiden Bishop laid bare. He, was, he came to Blackheath to fulfill the promise he made to a dead woman. That promise is now lo- no longer binding in his belief. But Anna is still alive and is still in danger, so he has yep. to stay to save her. Right. Yep. It does take on new meaning when you find out more of his background, mm-hmm. backstory. Um, yeah, like the, the law of the woman she killed now is dead. The spirit of her being alive is alive. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, uh, additional details. Uh, ultimately, how he saves Anna is through writing himself into a book, page 397 at the bottom. Yeah. It's the book of me. Um, so the the word mm-hmm. of her savior is what saves her. Um, anyway, uh, so and then like they they come out and they're saved and it, they, there's a great just depiction of forgiveness in here that it is completely forgotten and mm-hmm. I don't even want to go back to it is kind of the the result ultimately. Like he lets yeah. himself go. Yeah. Yep, he just lets it lets it be gone. It, it's it's a perfect picture of forgiveness. It's no, it doesn't matter anymore. This is this is gone. It's it's eliminated completely. Um, as well as all these questions of blame. Um, hmm? Maybe bottom of page 429, free of his voice. Free of his voice, yeah. Yep. The, mm-hmm. the, the voice that was there of, of himself <clears throat> ultimately, you know, goes away. Um, but yeah, so this, this, this whole picture of him being the Christ figure to come in and save her and bring her out uh, is what ultimately wins out in the end. And that's why I want to bring out around this question of seven and a half deaths. This takes place, it, it's described as a week that's not actually a week because it's the same day repeated. Mm-hmm. And so if you have, like, this 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 repetition of this sort of thing, seven is the number of days in a week. The eighth oh. day is the new week, the new mm-hmm. day, Easter. Jesus rose on a yeah. Sunday. And it's also and that's the, yeah. the continuation. So that resurrection and, comes on the eighth. And that day is very different from every day. Exactly. Yep. So like it, it, it is has a specific goal and a specific perfect purpose that is greater than all of the other seven days. Yep. And that's yeah. that's why I think seven and a half is very significant. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Which it probably works on multiple levels. Oh absolutely. Which which is part of the beauty mm-hmm. of it that it does work on those multiple levels. Yeah, just to jump sh- jump to a different topic. No, that's fine. Kind of, this one. Let's talk about the antagonists. Mm. Okay, before we go there, mm-hmm. I just <laughs> want to mention that we compared the the renaming between the British edition that just had seven and the American edition that mm-hmm. had seven and a half um, to Harry Potter, which of course Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone in England was published as Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in America, yep. which I have to assume everyone everyone always says, of course, that it's because the American publishers assumed that Americans were too stupid to understand right. what a Philosopher's Stone was. Um, and I have to assume that the British publishers here were too assume that British people were too stupid to divide by fractions. Yeah, that's probably ah! it. <laughs> there you go. That was my right. Very nice. extremely Very good. Nice. That, that's because their 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 their, mus, their money wasn't uh, on the decimal system until like the si- late sixties. Yes, that's, so yeah. that's, that's, that's clearly why. what that's. that's about. We definitely need to build a narrative around yep. this. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so talking about antagonists. So, first of all, one more thing. Sorry yeah. to any British listeners that we had before. <laughs> we apologize. This. Go on there. Uh, so, who are the antagonists first, and how did they fulfill their job? Well, that's that's a, a question that you have as a reader coming through the entire thing, and mm-hmm. you know, Aiden does too, wondering who he can trust. 
Um, you know, the plague doctor seems pretty sinister at the beginning. He winds up being one of the greatest allies uh, by the end. But even still, like, it's a question of yeah, who you can trust, who's lying, because everyone right. is described as lying. And uh, everyone is lying. Everyone's wearing masks. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, what's interesting is that um, masks... Uh, even the good people are wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. the the masks portray who they are, not yeah. who they are not. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So like you've got uh, the whoever embodies Daniel Coleridge is the antagonist, right. uh, the one behind Over-arching. the footman. Yeah, <gasps> and <laughs> uh, uh, you gotta talk quicker. You're not gonna trap us. I know. I, I was waiting to hear it, um, but uh, he's wearing the mask of the narrator itself. Mm-hmm. Um, pretending to for be quite a while, him. He does, yeah. Yep. For yeah, for a good long while. I I did actually notice though. You know, I said earlier that it was while he was talking with um, uh, Dance that oh, I first suspected him. Mm-hmm. But I found like the first place where he says, "I'm your last host." Raven I circled that and and said, "Do I believe him?" Um, oh. So yep. No, that that's the immediate thing. Is like everything we know about uh, about Aiden at this point is like really the only one person showed up and immediately said it was the last one. Yep. So, yeah, it's, like, the the question of trust is, is huge in here. You can't trust anyone. And mm-hmm. I, I was honestly expecting a lot more backstabbing and, and more trickery and more double play. I, I'm really glad the way it worked out, mm-hmm. but um, I was expecting more, just the way it was initially set up. Yeah, it was, it was less of a back and forth and more of, the, it, it was, it was, Person versus person, but person versus environment was much stronger. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it is ultimately that you know Blackheath itself is the antagonist. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a mystery. I, I mean, um, the the murderess um, that uh, is ultimately revealed to be the murderess. It's it's kind of anticlimactic when it, when when it's revealed who she is. Oh, you're Evelyn Hardcastle. I like. My note at the end of that chapter, because that's what ends the chapter, is page 413. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anna figures it out. Oh, you're Evelyn Hardcastle. I wrote, oh, duh. Um, <laughs> there, because it's like, oh, yeah, of course she is. That makes perfect yeah, sense. putting all of it together. Um, yeah, Madeline Aubert is uh, the, the fake name that she gives. Yeah. Um, but it's like, yeah, duh, of course that is. Mm-hmm. But it's still kind of an anticlimactic it's... thing as far mm-hmm. as that story goes, because it doesn't matter. Yeah, that doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, by the time that they've gotten to... Mm-hmm. In a good way. Yeah, mystery. in a good way. Mm-hmm. This the solution is yeah. so far past. The solution could be anything, yeah, and it doesn't mm-hmm. ultimately have any but bearing it's, on it's, the story itself. And the thing is, it like still works well the... within the story. Yeah, it's still a like if this overarching theme wasn't a part of it, that would be a decent reveal to a murder mystery. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what it what it functions as is sort of like the old. Uh, alchemical um, allegory or whatever that gets told that like by the time the alchemist figures out how to produce gold the like self purifying and the the uh, like spiritual enlightenment that they've attained means he no longer wants it means that they know how foolish a pursuit gold is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah no that's 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 good um, so yeah as far as antagonists like with the the classical uh, imaginings of uh, the struggle in literature, you know, man versus man, man versus nature, man versus God, man versus self. It's all of them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, like, well, 
the the fascinating thing, like with Daniel uh, Coleridge and as we're talking with like uh, putting Aiden as kind of a Christ-like figure or mm-hmm. having Christ-like traits, Daniel fits the antagonist role for that very well because he poses himself as a friend of this or as mm-hmm. this being himself yeah. yep. and is supplanted by it. But then his philosophy towards things obviously veers very far away from what the truth is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like he's sort of the inversion of a Christ figure. Mm-hmm. What would that be? I was going to ask you that. What would that be called? Michael. What is what is the, the opposite of a Christ figure? Ah, I don't know. Like, what, like, what, what sort of... I, I feel like there's a, a the mythological creek. creature is it like a, a, that would embody that symbolically. <laughs> mm, yeah, probably that's it. It's probably a werewolf. Probably a werewolf. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> I don't know if I'd put him as that, though. Well, he is pretty hairy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I'd say like he's building his own part and okay I can see like he, he starts building his case off of Aiden's mm-hmm. and so he's kind of using it in order to further his own agenda right. and embodying but, something that he's not presenting himself as familiar when he's foreign mm-hmm. right there's, yeah there's a little bit there uh, I I would still say like I wouldn't put him fully in that camp, and maybe I'm just it's because I have more uh, more strict. Depends on how much you want to delineation of it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like, to, to, if we go more ruthlessly with like deriving pleasure from another's pain, and that yep. being kind of the thing of like using others in order to do it, the footman fits far better. <gasps> all right. Anyway, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. so with with all of this too, like we we talked about some of the philosophical discussions that come through here too, and I wanted to make sure to hit this, especially in view of the book that Ethan and I are going to be discussing next. Yes, is the question in this book of fate. Yes. Mm. Um, and does fate exist? There, there's there's a whole discussion that's fairly early in the book where the plague doctor um, basically says no to fate, um, mm-hmm. and that it's not fate, it's nature. Yeah. It's, it's your nature that causes these things to happen the same way every time. Um, and the, It can be changed, it just won't because your nature doesn't. Right, and right. so my question is, to that extent, um, like, is... Well, number one, is this book interested in the fate question? Uh, is this book um, asking us to investigate the fate question? I, and number two... Um, is there actually a difference between fate and nature? I would say that, as with many other questions, this book would say that is not a question you need to ask. Mm. Like, is it fated or is it not is not important. Because mm-hmm. whether it is or not, the morality doesn't change. Sure. Yeah. Is, is, kind of the, is, is the end point that Aiden gets to. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if this is fated to die or things. I still need to be doing the correct thing. Yeah, the, mm-hmm. that's probably the uh, uh, a part of the epiphany that Aiden finally mm-hmm. does get to is to look past that. If you were going to try to make that fate versus nature distinction, I think you'd have to have a whole like platonic and, dialogue yep. trying mm-hmm. to define the word fate that neither this Actually, book nor this mm-hmm. podcast is probably and that interesting. I'll make a quick other thing. These 30 years that this book took place and all the changes in there say that there is a difference between fate and nature. Because but things is change. There? Because here's the thing, and this oh, uh, you know, is even uh, brought up with uh, Avengers Endgame, um, <laughs> because it has to tie in. The, the point of, of time travel that 
if you go into the past and change things, you can't change your present because that would be your future changing your present. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is, by the very fact that we points. have a book here written, there is a linear progression. Well, and you can so the linear progression can be affected by fate. Right, and mm-hmm. you, it, it's that classic uh, Boethius, the consolation of philosophy mm. um, idea, well, is that that. Mm-hmm. Within, if you're the if you're a character in the book, you're sort of writing the book as you go, yeah, and it can be changed. Even, yeah. But if once the book is is written, um, then that's fate in a in the sense that it's what's already happened. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, and this only this discussion only becomes problematic if you posit uh, something like God that can see the book from outside and even sure. meddle within the book. Well, and um, it, it becomes which, a, you know, in Boethius, the reason that it's called the consolation of philosophy um, is that that's the consolation that there is someone who can meddle in. The mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And well, there, there becomes the bigger thing of uh, you're arguing with a linear progression. You're arguing that that is the natural formation of time, mm-hmm. rather than time. And, and this goes too far, but it's rather than time as we understand it, which mm-hmm. may or may right. not be correct. Right. Um, and and so like. Arguing that the linear progression proves fates doesn't function so long as if linear progression is just our understanding of it. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an interesting aspect to this discussion, though, is the whole idea of the simulation and the idea that we are going back into events somehow. We tried and, and failed inevitably, faithfully, as it were, last episode to figure out exactly how mm-hmm. that works. But somehow we are going back into past events and into past characters that did happen already. Right. And historically, and... Evelyn Hardcastle either died or she didn't. Right. Um, and whichever it is... Uh, Isn't going to change. It's not affected mm-hmm. by the actions of the simulation. Right. And and that, you know, that there, there are layers to this, too, because the Plague Doctor tells Aiden, you can't save Evelyn Hardcastle. She's right. going to die. It's does, not but... going to change. He does, but does he actually? Because right. it's a simulation. It's not well, actually... And that, plague, that goes so back to that it doesn't matter. In, in, a, in, a, in a layer here, like, right, does it matter? But but ultimately, it's it's within that where Aiden finds true meaning here, that yeah. he can't actually save her, but if he didn't try, if he didn't actually work to save her, he wouldn't be acting he as would, a moral being. And he mm-hmm. would be someone who didn't work to save yes. her, whether she could be saved mm-hmm. or not. Exactly. Not only that, but you could argue that there's a third even deeper layer that's the same as the first layer, just like with pie. And a sandwich. Um, <sighs> that Or an Oreo. Thank you. That is not a sandwich. Um, oh, we're not having that philosophical oh debate. <laughs> is a hot dog a sandwich? I have a website that I'm going to show you later <laughs> that actually does solve all of this. Um, okay. But is, I'll link to it in the show notes. My wife and I were having this discussion the other day and we found this. Anyway, um, now I forgot where I was going at all. Oh, okay. Bottom layer sandwich so, at the top. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. The Plague Doctor, with his particular set of knowledge says you cannot save Evelyn Hardcastle and right. the the yes. most obvious interpretation is that because the plague doctor knows the nature of this thing therein that it's a simulation mm-hmm. of something that's already happened now you could argue that by coming up with the solution to this 
they figured out that Evelyn Hardcastle didn't die. Mm-hmm. At least not in yep. the sense that everybody thought that she did. Which, if you assume that that's a valid interpretation of the historical facts, that they've finally sifted the correct information to figure out what went on here, mm-hmm. that in a sense they did say that Hardcastle. And Hardcastle At didn't least die according to the history books. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which is a fascinating reversal because mm-hmm. you have the Plague Doctor who seems should sort of know more he should be the godlike being mm-hmm. but he's and he's telling Aiden well, that this is impossible but Aiden with a lower amount of information but with a greater faith arguably yep. manages to do this thing that the the plague doctor who should be and the wise man he reminds yes. me of like the wise man that the plato talked about who only point. knew their specialty their, yeah. their specialized knowledge, how they were actually more foolish oh. than a peasant. And going back you know, to the with... whole idea of the Gnostic thing, like, it does start out in presenting Aiden as kind of a Gnostic character, and he meets the Plague Doctor, and you should assume that he's divine, he has a greater mass of knowledge, he sounds right. like he's at least part of a pantheon, the way he talks. Right. Because talking about his superiors, and we, and us, and all of this... But then you find out, no, he's just a guy, and Aiden can actually overcome him by, you know, what is ultimately his faith and, and his moral conviction. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, like, getting to that where you're saying, like, he has more knowledge, but the realization that he essentially has less, um, they get to that in on page 388, when he's talking with Gold. Um, uh, there you go. Hands on hips, he, the plague doctor, stares at Blackheath in the distance, and for the first time I realize it's as much his master as mine. While I was free to tinker and change, he's been forced to watch as we murdered and raped and committed suicide. He said to accept whatever the day brought him, no matter how horrific. And unlike me, he wasn't allowed to forget. A man could go mad. Most men would, unless they had faith, unless they believed the ends justified the means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Which is an interesting uh, way to phrase that. Yeah, for one thing, but also it's an interesting set of assertions. Yeah. Um, because it actually leaves open the question of whether the Plague Doctor is mad. Especially mm-hmm. if you take the last thing that I said um, as a valid interpretation of the Plague Doctor's character, maybe he doesn't have faith. And there are other passages that imply mm-hmm. that the Plague Doctor has just, at a certain point, lost all faith. He's just doing yeah. his yeah. job every day. Well, yeah, Black Which, Sheep is there to kill people. It's not there to let people go. Right, right, exactly. Which, and if Aiden's correct about his assertions here, that would imply that the Plague Doctor is mad, which, mm-hmm. to be meddling the way that he is, implies a loss of faith and perhaps a certain madness. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, that, that's something there. That, yeah, he's... He's built to be a character who knows everything, and yet he's the one who, see, who turns out, like... Seems to have the least, but he has specialized knowledge, but he has the least amount of it. Right. At the end of it. Mm-hmm. Or it implies that the yeah. knowledge and the, um, the like, mm-hmm. superiority of positioning, the power that he has, that none oh. of those are the things that actually carry the day in the end. There's, there's yeah. a specific of thing of, um, like, especially near the end, there's a specific thing that, like, one person could never solve this. Because they can't right. see from the angles. What they know blinds them. Right. Um, and the Plague Doctor is in a similar situation. Yeah, where he exactly. Like, he knows inside the, the thought processes of many people. He kind of, he implies that he knows what it's like to be in the mind of Derby. What he knows right. what it's like to be in the mind mm-hmm. of like Ravencourt and them there. And that's why he's convinced Anna hasn't changed. Right. Because he's, he's so used to knowing everyone's mind that these three are blind spots to him. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Here's something that might tie in yeah. to some of this, or it might not, might just be a topic jump. But um Yeah, we occasionally do that on the show. <laughs> no. But why do you think that all of Aiden's uh avatars or whatever you want to call them mm-hmm. are men? Because he is. Mm-hmm. And okay, that that's I had thought of several answers to that question myself, and that was one of them. Why do you think what is it that um cognitive that, dissonance at the very end he's already getting to the point where he's having trouble realizing who he is like he uh, in one point he's like i'm no longer a man i'm a chorus right um, yeah. was the idea there of just like he he's so stuck so, in those things and with adding a completely different body type to what he's going with right and like as functionally different as you can get mm-hmm. and right. still being a human being is it's still like that would be i think too far so you think it was a practical consideration oh, either of the creators of Blackheath or of the Plague Doctor? Yeah, there, there, yeah, there's also the thing of, like, he's affected by their physical bodies quite a bit. Yeah. Right. And it's a different, like, down, it's a different DNA makeup in those, in those cases right. where, like, he's, and, and it's possible that was, that would be a, a difficulty there. Mm-hmm. Sure. I'm, sure. I'm, I'm postulating wildly, but. I want to, I want to point out to the first time that he mentions that he's no longer a man, he's a chorus. I, in the margin, I wrote a Greek one. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, that, day, was, that was my immediate Day three. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, because, you know, just, I mean, the Daedalus idea, and it is kind of presented kind of as a Greek, Greek tragedy with the whole question of fate and nature again, mm-hmm. too. Right. And morality within that. Right. Um, but, yeah, he's definitely, like, his tragic flaw, his stubbornness is brought up as, like, yep. a tragic flaw over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's what ends up kind of saving him and Anna. Yeah. But he, he is also more than just the chorus because he's not just an observer. He's an observer who affects things. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, he doesn't just announce the, the changes. Maybe that was kind of the original design of this prison, that you are an observer who makes minor changes, but you're ultimately trying to figure things out. Sure. Mm-hmm. But that's obviously not how it's going to work. I, I mean, Stu Turton pointed that out in his... his um, conversation at the end that uh, the society that's created this thing hasn't overcome human weaknesses mm-hmm. right like the human nature still persists which is kind of part of that question again of, of nature the nature hasn't changed right but uh the book itself presents the the, the point that you know nature does change for right. anna to be redeemed her nature had to change well and that's an interesting uh uh part of the the philosophy that's um underlying some a lot of this book in different hands this concept could have been uh almost a utopian novel where in the future we figured out a way to uh successfully change uh human character right that, mm-hmm. that this is this is what successful prison reform will look like as sort of wild as mm-hmm. as it becomes and I think that that kind of mindset, which has been, you know, various techno techno futurists mm-hmm. and utopians throughout the years, have exhibited that kind of understanding of human nature. Mm-hmm. That if we can make our tools advanced enough, we can change human nature. And I think Stuart Turton is a much more classical, um, philosophically classical mindset no, that no. no matter what our tools mold us into that mm-hmm. there is a certain underlying human nature that you will never change you'll just have to grapple with mm-hmm. something, like something with like the system itself i think one of the major 
like just talking about the system that they developed and right. looking at flaws in it. One of the major flaws that I see with it is making it a competition. Mm-hmm. By making it so that only one person can succeed, I understand why they're doing it because it causes people to evoke, you know, backbiting, backstabbing, those kind of back and forth. It's but a it also, consequential motivation. Yeah, it's, it's a consequential motivation, and it's it's something where you gain like there there it is so geared towards getting rid of the other people. Right. Yeah. That working with it's like exclusive, like even working, even uh, Aiden working with it collaboratively, where he right. wasn't sent there on purpose. He's been doing all these things and going and going through all this stuff. Like he still has to actively argue with the arbiter of the law itself, yeah, right, in order to make an exception, and he barely gets it, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if you guys had anything you wanted to bring up to carry us through the mm-hmm. end here. Otherwise, I have a suggestion. What's your suggestion? We have a tradition on Michael and Ethan in a room, this show. Um, this one. That this one on. that we're in. This show. Yep. Now <laughs> in we are having. Um, yep. Where we look at reading groups. I was going to suggest yeah. that myself. Yeah. I was wondering if you guys were going to bring yeah. us yes. Michael and Ethan take a look at the reading group guide. I and I haven't I haven't really dug into this reading group guide specifically yeah. super deeply, but um, usually uh, to to just remind the gentle listener to peel back the veil. Usually, reading group guides are stupid. Yeah, and what we best. think of them is that they're stupid. <laughs> so I, I, with with an open mind, friends. with an open mind, but probably it's going to be stupid. <laughs> Maybe we want to just do a. We don't have to. We are um, do a we, we super them. deeply. We in. began ours with the first question. We we might want to yeah, just sort did. of skim whether these are good questions and not try to answer them. Uh, just read the first one and then we'll move on to the next. One. Yep. Yes. So, uh, you're you're right, Nick. Though the the first one did maybe posit a potentially good one, which I say without any prejudice at all towards <laughs> the one and three quarters episodes we've already done. <laughs> Who or what do you think are the deaths in the seven and a half deaths of everyone Hardcastle? Where does the half death enter the narrative? And we're not going to talk about it because we already did. We did yep. forever. Yep. Um, so I, I'll, I'll give them one point there. One point. Mm-hmm. Usually reading groups guys score about negative 400? Something like that. Um, or thereabouts. So they're, I they're hate 3,000. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, and we hate you, 3,000. So. For a version of the theme. <laughs> um, so we're, there are 401 points up at this point. I'm in the revisionist stage of that genre. Oh. Good callback. Thank you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. I, I, I Two. listened to that. I got that reference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I understood that reference. The seven and a half deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle begins in a typically linear way, then shoots off in many different directions. How did the different narratives and perspectives enrich the story? Now, first of all, this is assuming that they did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's so subjective. That um, I would I would like to ask this question several questions in my own turn. Okay. Mm-hmm. One, what is a typically linear way? What does that even mean? How are you defining typical? How are you defining linear? Also, while we're here, how are you defining way? Uh, then shoots off. What does that phrase mean? This gentle listeners is the difference between a normal reading group and a reading group uh, with English majors. <laughs> Keep going. In many different directions. 
Um, so that's a bad question. But did it go in many different directions, or did it go in one You're direction? You're actually right. That's, even that part is yeah. a <laughs> very invalid assumption. Yeah, what does it mean by many different directions? Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's... Look, one of those questions is so vaguely like, worded I'm, as I'm, to not have any I'm, meaning. I'm going to stamp down on this again that this book is linear. Yeah. It is linear because there's a narrator who experiences all these things in this linear fashion. That's true. I would disagree. This, as far as the narrator's, like, actual that's... experience goes, this is, this the, is the this exact is word. I, 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 less I, I, unlinear than a lot of narratives. I, I apologize. Nicholas, counterpoint. Sorry, no, no, I, I apologize for going off the direction. That's actually tangent, not counterpoint. But um, how many loops did everyone else experience? Because there's at least two that we saw. One where yeah. Evelyn Hardcastle dies normally, and oh, one yeah. where Rastion changes it. Oh, well, there was another one where where that's um, new, yeah, that's a question uh, I thought of. Someone else changed it too. Um, no, that that was with Derby was Rastion as well. The tall man in a trench coat pulled her out of the pool. That was Rastion. Oh, you you yeah. you see, it, he never says exactly what it is, but when Rastion goes to okay, the guardhouse, yeah. he hangs up his trench coat. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that is the the question then of like when things change. Why? How does time point? even work? So How does time? Well, even it's, work? it's like is is every loop is every loop a new loop for Anna, or is every or right. or did they or was there a kind of an alignment? Was it a, a, an alignment? Right, mm-hmm. because he can talk to himself to some degree or other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how many loops did Coleridge go through? This book doesn't even make any sense. It doesn't. Make That's any what sense. I've concluded from that <laughs> question in a good way. Good, good work. Good. Um. Also, if one of the reading group questions is not just 12, how does time even work? Question mark, full stop. I'm done with this. I, I will minus say this. 400 um, points to the reading group guide itself. Really quickly, the, the second question is more a place to evoke how did you like the book than to actually ask questions about it. Yeah. yeah, And that's, that's true. probably part of the issue. The mystery and escape in Black Question Eve, number three. Thank you. Is set up like a puzzle and the reader plays along with Aiden as he puts the solution together. Were there any pieces you couldn't find a place for? Yes. How does time even work? <laughs> yeah. How many loops did people go through? That's, yeah. 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 You've broken this whole book. I, I will say too. I, I, did I, want I think to, it enriches it. I do want to go back and read this again and actually like keep a chart of time. Like I want to get an appointment oh, yeah. book and like say this happened at this minute and this happened in this minute and see um, really track good, the changes. Which sounds, I think that would be a way I, I really to figure out from the interview. From the interview mm-hmm. with That's how he wrote it. Yep. That um, sounds like you're just uh, reverse engineering yeah. how he wrote it. Yeah. Uh, a really quick thing. There are two or three times where Aiden himself gets the sequence of days wrong in his re- in his remembrance. He says certain yep. things that happen do not happen in that order. For yep. the benefit of the doubt, I think that's on purpose. I, well, like a couple of times he said, this happened yesterday, which... Nope. Yeah, that's, that's well, that was what yesterday. That's not itself. That's that's not even what I mean. No, no like, like but there are like a couple things like that. Like yesterday doesn't exist here. Mm-hmm. Also, it wasn't the previous host; it was the one before that. But yep. you know, like just yeah. those little things that I want to assume that those were written by Stuart Turton intentionally to present like Aiden as an unreliable, if realistic narrator. If the author of this book were Gene Wolfe, I a hundred percent would assume that they were uh, completely intentional. Uh-huh. This being Stuart Turton's first book, I That's need the, more evidence with before whole, I... I, I, yeah, I could I, see I, it I being intentional, but I could now. also see it being little bits of aberration that occurred and that didn't destroy the book by Didn't get means. fixed. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, question four. Aiden Bishop has a backstory that readers will never know in full. However, what we do know is there is plenty of revenge, cruelty, and questionable intentions wrapped up 
in who he was and why he entered Blackbeak. With what you know about him, would you call him a hero? Why or why not? Okay, this question loses 150 points because every teacher training that I have ever experienced and in my professional career I've experienced several says never for discussion ask yes or no questions yep. and adding even wire, with the wire why adding not, wire why not a... does not redeem it nope um, <laughs> and also hero means one who sacrifices Aiden sacrifices yes he's a hero end of discussion move on okay. if, you, if, if you're going off of that definition points. sure yeah, I mean that's literally what a hero is again but, if you're going off of that def- definition sure I mean, that's, that's the linguistic roots of what I hear. Linguistically, you're correct. <laughs> wow. Question number oh, five. Man. Question number five. Why do you think the Plague Doctor wears that particular costume? And how does it affect his relationship with Aiden? Who cares? Is the Plague Doctor really the good man that the voice in Aiden's head Who cares? Like, I kind of talked about this before, too, that like, the, the costume lends an air of magic to it and mm. therefore creates more smoke and mirrors. I, I may be exaggerating and with my who cares who responses. Cares, but, but like, also, who cares? Um, I, yeah. the, okay, the one thing I'm thinking of is the Plague Doctor costume was, and again, with the who cares, I'm, I'm just <laughs> spinning off of this, but uh, the Plague Doctor costume, the beak was stuffed with, uh, with, in, with like incense and things because or with spices because they believed that yep. uh, diseases came through spices. smell. And yeah, so like, by the avoiding bad, the smell, the bad disease he wears the mask in Blackheath, this horrible place that he's not affected by. It. Yeah, no, sure. like he, he distances himself mm-hmm. from it in that way. Yeah, and he, he becomes is, the doctor, the person who's uh, who's standing apart from the diseased people. Right. He is okay. required by profession to be amongst this pestilence, mm-hmm. but so, doesn't want the pestilence to affect him. Mm-hmm. Nick has convinced me that the first half of this question is mildly interesting, so plus 10 points. So I think we're at... Negative 291. Or 289. 289. Thank you. Okay. Uh, number six. Annabelle Cocker or Anna is unmasked. Is someone very different from whom Aiden believes her to be? What no, do she you isn't. feel she did to deserve her time in Blackheath? And how do you think Aiden we are was able told to this. Her? Yeah, this was we directly are literally stated. explicitly this, told this. This, this is, this is give, a reading comprehension give question. Give a book report. <laughs> uh, oh, here, come on. In your, in your book club. Give a book report on who Annabelle Cocker okay, was and yeah. what she did. Negative 7,000. Uh, <laughs> that was, that's a horrible question. It's really bad. Uh, Question number seven. Yeah. Were there any tactics Aiden didn't think of that you could have solved the mystery of who killed Evelyn Hardcastle? If you were in his shoes or host, what would you have done differently? How could I possibly know this? Yep. Michael is one of There's... the most, like, granular thinkers that I know, and he has explicitly said in the last ten minutes that to answer this question, he would have to create the yep. same amount of mm-hmm. paperwork yep. and spreadsheets that the author did to yep. write it. Um, no one at a book club is going to be able to answer there's this an, question. Uh, there's an excellent, like, related to this, there's an excellent counterpoint in, um, there's a book by Jim Butcher called The Air Nuts Wouldn't Last, which is a very good book if you want to read it. I'm just plugging other books here. No, but um, at, at the very end, uh, there's a character who's dealing with uh, a, basically a mild PTSD due, due to certain things. Sure. And comes to another person, and that person says, if you went back in time knowing the things you knew then... Would you change anything differently? And she says, sure. knowing things I know now. And he's like, no, never that. You don't know what you... You didn't know then what you know now. Right. So therefore, you can't judge your decisions based on that. This question is the opposite of that. Because we know so much, we wouldn't be in the world knowing those things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I want to say that I think we should probably tie this off because... Yep. We're, we've been through seven questions. There are 13. They're already 6,811 points down. 
Um, so I don't think this reading group guy is going to redeem itself. 7,281. Thank you so much. I appreciate I'm really glad someone's <laughs> keeping track. It's very important for the integrity of this podcast <laughs> that the numbers all make sense. However, with what I just said, I would please like to spend one minute reading question number eight because I've okay. foolishly read ahead on it. <laughs> all right. Okay. We're ending with question eight. The construct of Blackheath as a prison feels like something from the future. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Thank you for groaning. You're both validating me. (laughs) But do you feel this sort of punishment and possible redemption could one day be considered a viable solution for criminals? Completely irrelevant. But here's the kicker. What do you feel the advantages are, and in what ways could this be considered even more cruel than a standard incarceration sentence? Say question, where are you leaving Assuming the conclusion in the premise of your question. Uh, um, Sorry, question eight. Where are you leading me? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Objection, leading the witness. Negative 11 trillion points. (laughs) This is a bad reading group. For all those keeping score at home, that's 11 trillion 7,289 points in the hole. (laughs) (laughs) So, reading group guide loses. No, I I read the... After finishing this book, I was like, this is a really good book. Oh, it has a reading guide. Read the first two questions. It doesn't have a reading guide. (laughs) There's nothing guiding. Well, there is something guiding, but not in the way that you want it Here's here's the nice thing about this reading group guide. It exists on one separate page, so it's really easy to tear out. (laughs) (laughs) Just get rid of it. Um, So, yeah. One day, I have this, like... Fantasy is probably too strong a word because that's usually for like a positive experience. But I have this vision of the future that one day we're going to like meet the intern who happened to write the reading group guide for like whatever corporate conglomeration published a bunch of our books and they're just gonna shank us. (laughs) They're not even gonna say anything, they're gonna hear our voices and they're gonna walk up to us Um. and just. Stab us with a homemade knife. <laughs> that's, that's like the guy who I believe it was either directed or was a major part of the movie North, uh-huh. who ran into Robert e- uh, Robert Roger Ebert in a bathroom <laughs> once and walked up to him and said, "Hey, so uh, Roger, I, I I heard your I, I listened to your review on North, and I got to tell you, I hated that review. Hated, 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 hated." <laughs> <laughs> to the end of our episode. No one uh, broke any rules. No, that's so true. No punishments yeah. need to be meted out, no. so good job, I gonna, everyone. I was going to tell, say being... no, no loops, but that would have been too cruel. Yeah, so, but good job, everyone, remaining moral within this prison. <laughs> that um, Nick had constructed Nick has constructed for us. Well, I mean, we just didn't talk about the footmen. As <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't have to anymore. We're at ratings now. <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you just lose? No, you said, you said, said we're at ratings. Uh, so this <laughs> definitely, uh, you know, uh, you know, I still feel he, that we trapped him. Well, the thing is, if, if we were a few seconds late on this loop, in an earlier loop, we got him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, but so I learned. A listener, go back and listen to the next version of this podcast <laughs> where I'm in Michael's body and I make him lose. <laughs> Wouldn't that just mean you lost, though? <laughs> <laughs> it's a moral question. Um, so, in ratings, um, Ethan and I are going to rate the scotch uh, after our next book, but Nick, do you want to give any comments on the scotch and give it between one to five stars? I have never drank scotch. <laughs> so, this is a complete amateur's guide. Um, I don't drink alcohol, so it's a complete amateur's guide. Um, <laughs> for it, um, from everything I've heard of scotch, it was smoother than I expected it to be. Um, 
drank fairly decently. I didn't drink very much because I'm supposed to be driving right after this. So um, it wasn't too bad. It was um, interesting there. It kind of, this, and this may sh- show what an amateur I am, it reminded me a little bit of Sherry. Okay. okay. In some ways, of, of it, it had that same kind of, the way I describe Sherry is it's like drinking an old library. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of had that same bookish feel to it and taste. Okay, interesting. So, uh, one to five stars? Disregarding my just general not drinking alcohol, I could give it four. Four stars? Okay. All right, cool. Um, uh, let's talk about the book. Buy, yeah. borrow, or forget about it. Uh, Ethan, you go first. Well, I have been debating on this because my one and only complaint really about this book is that I feel like eight characters was too much. And I got bored at about page 300 and thought that this would have been a better 300-page book than a 400-page book. However, somewhere along the lines, and I think it was you saying you wanted to reread it with your spreadsheet and also Nick breaking the world and making me try to figure out how time works, (laughs) I did flip into wanting to reread this book one more time, which is just enough for me to say buy it. Um, I think if you are... And I liked this book a lot. I do want to say that. I wouldn't tell you to buy a book I didn't like. Um, But I think if you are any more into it than I was, you will want to reread it at least once. And it is the type of book that I think would reward rereading if it's the the type of book that you like. As in, if you like anything... Basically, if you like science fiction in sort of a broad definition, or if you like sort of your Agatha Christie mysteries, and especially if you're up for the combination of those... I think it's worth buying. Okay. The only time I would say to not buy it is if you're not into like any genre stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If you don't like mysteries, then like... yeah, <laughs> right. This is yeah, sort of the ultimate mystery. But if you don't like mysteries and you do like philosophy, you might still at least mm-hmm. borrow it. Mm-hmm. But overall, I'm going to say buy it. Nick, um, I've read it three times. Wow, <laughs> I would like to read it again. So yeah, I'm I'm in bias territory. I like the interplay of characters. I like I like that there are multiple characters that we that we run with, and that you see the differences between each. Um, that there is still an overriding will and an overriding personality, despite the changing personalities. That there is that that there is a discernible Aiden Bishop, even if you can't put into words what's discerned. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also going to say buy it uh, for all the reasons that were said. It bears rereading. Also, Stuart Turton, this is his first novel, and he's coming out with a second. Um, so, and he's living now. You can follow him on Twitter at Stu underscore, underscore Turton. Um, so, you know, follow him on Twitter, find out what he's coming out with, and track him a little bit, you know, because this is, this is interesting to see this emerging author. Yeah, um, So definitely buy it for, for me, uh, especially just because of the rereadable value to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, it is worth reading again. You catch yeah. a lot. Uh, so pairing uh, between uh, Scotch and book. Uh, Ethan? Um, I actually I can see what Nick is saying about the Scotch, his own uh, humble protestations aside. <laughs> Um, that this this feels like a very library-ish scotch. It feels like the type of, of thing that, um, especially some of like the, the footmen and the lower classes in this book <laughs> might have been reading. Uh, drinking. As, drinking. They're reading, reading the scotch. They're reading, they're reading the, scotch. the scotch and drinking some good old books while doing it. Um, so actually, I did like the pairing quite a bit. It felt atmospheric. Very good. Nick? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. It, it had 
just like again with that with not much god it had just enough bite in it that it was it kind of it it didn't dull mm. what you were, how you were thinking it it kind of kept you active mm-hmm. yeah no it had a it had a sharpness to it uh, if I can insert myself here uh, mm-hmm. that uh, that did kind of keep renewing itself as we kept talking about the book so yeah. I think it's a pretty good match so. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, so that uh, concludes uh, our discussion of The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle by Stuart Turton. Uh, next time, Ethan and I are going to be talking about Jacques le Fataliste by uh, Denis Diderot. Uh, and uh, we're going to be talking about that for two episodes, so read along with that. Or in English, if you're not a jerk, you could call it Jacques the Fatalist and His Master <laughs> by Dennis Diderot. <laughs> I was really hoping you were going to say Jack the Fatalist. Jack the Fatalist. <laughs> Jack the Fatalist by Dennis Diderot. Can we retake this and have you delete? I'm not going to do so any editing. Say, so I can say Jack the Fatalist and His, his, maestro, his maestro by Dennis Diderot. Oh, Jack no. the Fatalist and that guy who he listens to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, give us your feedback on that or on this uh, in the contact section of the tapestryradio.org website. Put Scotch Talk in the subject line. Also, add us at Room with Scotch on Twitter uh, or find us on Facebook in the Tapestry Radio Tap House. You can request to join and we will let you in as long as you're not a plague doctor uh, or an autocratic uh, society or a reading group guide writer. Uh, like, that is that is the only set of entry questions. Are you a plague doctor? Are you an autocratic society? Or are you the writer of a reading group guy? I'm kind of sad we're, we're putting Oliver out of this, but I understand why I want to keep Jack on. Yeah, exactly. Or Josephine. 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 Yeah. So, um, yeah. Also, we'll do your homework. We don't promise to do it well, but we do condone plagiarism only because it's funny. Uh, go to our website, tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast, fill out the form, and we will do our best on your homework. We'll make it fun, and you can turn it into your professors and get an F. Um, and also sent to jail for plagiarism. And sent to jail for plagiarism. Which is how they punish plagiarism. Yep, you'll get sent to Blackheath, you'll get sent to a simulation of the past and try to solve a murder. Maybe we'll get to be on the cruise ship. That and, sounds fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. The murder cruise ship? The murder cruise ship. It's a series of murders, but it's on a cruise ship. That's yeah. true. That's true. You'd at least get to enjoy my ties. Obviously, you got to imagine at least one person spent one day just on the deck. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you like this podcast, check out the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, like Intermission, our backstage drama podcast. Here's Johnny, the horror review podcast, and Pokemon Rollout, the Pokemon Tabletop United actual play RPG podcast, of which Nick is the game master. Uh, Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Since we don't pay to advertise, word of mouth and ratings is how others uh, can find us. Make us the number one uh, in searches for literature podcasts. That'd be awesome. Uh, So just keep giving us uh, more Scotch podcasts. More Scotch podcasts. Yeah, that'd be great. Which would make all the other Scotch podcasts real mad. (laughs) They would be so mad at us. And Um, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, totally. Where can they find you, Ethan? I am on Twitter at Bjartlet. That's B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I forgot to say that last time because I never go on Twitter. Well, I do go on Twitter. I just don't post. So if you at me, I will probably see it, but I'm pretty boring to follow. So that's an excellent pitch. I also write the script for a webcomic called Pin Porter Girl Detective. Uh, It is a noir fairy tale mashup webcomic. Uh, set in a small town in Wisconsin starring a 12-year-old girl detective and her assistant, the talking fancy pigeon, who is also sometimes the main character. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
and you can you can find that at pinporterdetective.com or just search pinporter girl detective on the google on the google yes mm-hmm. nick um, you, I, I realized, like, last episode I called myself a Luddite, now I'm realizing uh, the, uh, what Ethan said, I'm more just a lurker. So I'm on, <laughs> I'm on Twitter at PokeRollNick, I'm in the Pokemon Rollout uh, tap room, but in both of them I very rarely post. I just, I'm kind of there. But if you He'll go there, respond if he will talk to you. And yeah, also within, you know, five post. to ten business days. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the time it takes him to apply the stamp to his Facebook mm-hmm. post. Right. Yeah, quite, of course. <laughs> Uh, I'm on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L, also in the Tap House, uh, and other places, if you search for me, you will find me. Uh, so, yeah. You know, uh, like us on Facebook, or no, uh, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, don't follow us in real life. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, watch out, because I'm following well, you. We're watching out for, anyway. Yeah, anyway. It's in another loop. There's another <laughs> post following you. Yep. I'm behind you and in front of you. Until next time, gentle gentle listener, it's our party, and we'll cry if it's in our nature, too. And if we're you. And if we're us. If we are you, then if you're us, we will definitely cry.
obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.